50 years ago, a teacher changed my life. His name was Mr. Sidney Pigden. Hello, Ian. Long time no see. He was the first real positive male figure I'd ever had in my life. You're alive. I was struggling and Mr. Pigden took me under his wing. I don't know what to say. He taught me how to read and write and encouraged me to take up football. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He helped me to believe in myself and nobody else did. And I wouldn't be where I am today without his support. Everyday teachers are transforming lives. My guest this week is Abed Ahmed, an inspirational teacher from Birmingham with an unusual journey into teaching. So how did a socially anxious child with a stammer go from a nervous wreck in the classroom to one of Britain's best new teachers? I'm Ian Wright, and from something else, this is Everyday People. I was aware of my stammer since, since I was four and five right. years old, because that's when you learn to start to speak. Uh, no one else sounded um, like me at all. And I felt like that I was the only person in the world who stammered. And what about your family, Abed? How were your, how were your family in your journey? Um, in terms of my stammer, um, my parents weren't that supportive of it. In South Asian communities, there's a lot of things that are taboo subjects, stammering, wow. mental health issues. In fact, the word stammer doesn't even exist in my native uh, language. So to my parents, I didn't even know what it was. Um, so as a result of that, stammering was something that I didn't speak to no one about until I was uh, 19 years old. And then when you went to school, what, what was it like? Um, in school, um, it was quite tough, especially um, in primary school, because a lot of kids are the take the maker. You know what, yes. you know, what kids can be really... Mm, cruel. Can be really cr cr cruel at times. So they would um, imitate the way that I speak um, and, and just make fun of you. And you'd be surprised that's not something that just comes from children. How did it affect your, your self-esteem? I think in secondary school is when it affected my self-esteem a lot. When you start to meet a new people, a new teachers, you know, doing things like putting up your hands, it's tough saying uh, yes sir or yes miss in the register it's tough to do um, so you know growing up it was a battle with my confidence so did you have anxiety even just to hear the teacher say your name at, for the register yeah so, so like in fact there's so many social situations so the worst thing for me is when I meet new people and they ask me for my name Saying your name is one of the most difficult things to do for people who stammer. I don't know why. If he asked me right now, what's my name, Ian? It'll probably take me 20 to 30 seconds and, and, and you'll see facial tension. Is it at any stage they ask your name, it doesn't yeah. come out? Or at some stage <laughs> people say, oh, sorry, by the way, what's your name? That doesn't come naturally. It that just doesn't come. doesn't come wow. naturally. And for a lot of people who stammer, they'll say the same thing. Thing. So, like, Ian, um, if you want to try, you um, um, ask me for my name. Um, so I'm Ian. What's your What's your name? Uh, my name is. Uh, hang on. Abed. I can see your visibly, visibly, the 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 change in your whole demeanour there. Oh gosh, do people try and? Do, do people try and f force words into your mouth? Oh, so, What's that like? 
I think one of the most um, unproductive things to do is to try and finish a sentence for someone who stammers. Um, I think a lot of people think you're doing them a favour, you're not. If someone finishes a sentence for me, that's making me feel as if I'm not capable of finishing my own sentences. You know something, when I was younger, there was two boys in school that had a stammer. And I remember they were together a lot and people literally used to surround them. You don't do anything about it, which you look back now, you think to yourself, oh, look at them picking on them again. But people got picked on for loads of different things. But just listening to you and the anxiety, just saying your name at the, the register and trying to say your name, I can't even imagine what it's like for those two boys, even when I'm looking back now. For some reason, in primary school and secondary school, not a single teacher stopped me to say, you know, we can tell that you're stumbling, you know, do you want some support? Because schools can get speech and language therapists. Um, so for some reason, I, teachers, have, I've never spotted it. How did you cope? How did you cope without support? What, what did you do? What? I'm, I'm bewildered. I just say I'm ignored it because of um, embarrassment, you know. Um, it's something that I just, in fact, I mean, um, I didn't Google what a stammer was until I was 19 years old. Why? Um, embarrassment, fear, shame. So Abed was in school. He wasn't getting any help from his teachers and he wished he had the confidence of his classmates. So what was he going to do? And how were things going to get better? So I knew I've got a stammer and I thought, OK, what can I do to, to try and become a bit more confident in myself? I knew, you know, when you move on or to get a job and stuff, you need to come across as a, as a confident person. So, so I forced myself to take up GCC drama, which is the last thing. <laughs> which is wow, Abed. <laughs> because I thought, hang on, I don't even like drama. <laughs> and I thought, OK, but if I do drama, surely my confidence will improve in parts. And I remember the first day of my GC drama, I hated it. I just wanted the the, the flow to, to swallow me because um, we had to do, you know, some plays um, in front of all the other students. And I went back to my year manager, I told her, please just change my subject. It's the worst decision I made. I don't know what I was thinking. And bless her, she convinced me. She goes, no, stay on this course. It's going to do you really well. I can't imagine how nervous and anxious you must have felt the first time you had to stand up in front of them. Can you remember what that was like? Oh, yeah. Um, so for our first play, uh, my teacher told um, all of us to stand at the front. Oh, we got a camera. I thought, oh, God. <laughs> when you got a camera in your face, it's even more worse. Right. Like, okay. And she said, can you all please say your names? And I just remember standing there and it just wasn't coming out. And I was like, oh. and I think it took me like 15, 20 seconds just to say my name. By the time I left, GC Drama was by far my favourite subject. But it wasn't just drama he was excelling in. Abed passed maths with flying colours a whole year before his classmates. He scored top marks in his GCSEs and A-levels and suddenly he realised what he wanted to do. He wanted to teach. The only problem is stammer. I've been stammering my whole life, but I didn't like, actually know why we stammer, mm -hmm. what's the definition, what support is there. So he decided to do some research. 
went to the library and ran a search. He realised that speech and language therapy could help. They were coming across expensive, like £90 an hour, £100 an hour. I'm like, no chance in the world. And my parents can't afford that. I don't have a job at that point. I just thought, forget it. But then he learned that he could refer himself for therapy for free under the NHS. He put his name forward and... Totally forgot about it. Then 12 months later... An entire year later, that's when I got my first letter saying you have been referred to speech and language therapy. It was a game changer. Abed worked with Jill, a speech therapist who played a key role in his journey towards becoming a teacher. When I first met Abed, he was really sure that what he wanted to do was to become a teacher, but he was acutely aware, I think, of the um, the difficulties that he might face along that path, uh, not only in terms of the challenges he might face, so managing interviews and presentations, but also um, the, the wider prejudice and discrimination that people who stammer often face in society. Even though Abed was aware that there might be some barriers, He never seemed particularly phased by them. He knew that he could be a teacher um, and he knew that he would love being a teacher. And so his only question was was always about how am I going to get there? And that attitude, that... um, that quiet fight back of the to the barriers that he's faced and the the discrimination has always been incredibly impressive. It just felt so good talking to someone for the first time in my entire life at the age of 19 mm. speaking to someone about stammering she knew what stammering was she like understood all the feelings that I've had bottled up and all that life, and I just felt like a lot of pressure was taken off my shoulders. The work was less about techniques to improve fluency and more about acceptance. Abed learned to embrace his stammer as part of his identity. He had a whole new outlook and the confidence to go after his dream of becoming a teacher. And after a few years of teacher training, he landed his first interview. It's my first um, interview. Um, It was about five, six hours. I was absolutely trained from it. Of course, uh, my nerves were there. I more like kept thinking was, please, you know, don't um, reject me from a stand The interview took an entire day. There was a lesson to teach, a campus tour, and an interview with a panel of senior staff. Abed made it through, exhausted. I remember as soon as I finished my interview, um, I got the bus home and within 20 minutes, I got my rejection. Um, I got my rejection email and I just thought, I thought, okay, was it because of my stammer? And that was the first time I cried in a very long time. I don't tend to cry, but but I broke down because I've been thinking about teaching for now six years. And in my first attempt to get into my teacher training provider, um, I got a rejection. And, you know, I think that, that that knocked my confidence. See, that's the thing with me. When I was 19, because I, I had so much rejection and failure, people used to tease me when I used to go back to the community about the fact that, yeah, you're good when you play against Sunday teams, but then when you play against professional players, you're rubbish and that. And I remember at 19, I went to Brighton. I had to go to his office, Chris Catlin. Abed, he didn't even look up. He just said, listen, thanks for coming. Um, but we we can't take you on, so all the best with everything what you're doing, and um, you know almost like 
get out. And you know something? I literally, I didn't even, I didn't even leave the room properly and tears were coming out of my eyes. And that was the only time in my life where I, I, I must have cried. <laughs> I cried from that time I left the office, on the train, yes. everywhere. You know, because like you said there, I, it literally destroyed my dream. I was just tired of the rejection. I was tired of feeling like people telling me, you're not good enough. I didn't want it no more. I turned Crystal Palace down three times for that reason. <laughs> I turned it down three times because like I was scared for them to say no again. That was my mindset. How did you pick yourself up? Because I knew no one else would do anything about it. Oh my gosh. And I'm the only person that can change it. When you come from deprived communities, there's not a lot of support systems. And sometimes you have to be your own support system. It's your job to pick yourself up and just keep trying and trying and trying. I knew, hang on, I've been planning this for, for five, six years now. I, I can't give it up now. Mm. I can't think about doing another job. You have to pick yourself up mm. constantly. Um, even if you get rejections after rejection after rejection. Abed couldn't afford to stay down for long. He had two other interviews to prepare for. The second interview seemed to go well. He thought he might have a chance. Tell me about when somebody said to you, yes, we want to take you on. We want to take you on as a teacher. Could you feel while they were getting ready to say that, oh my God, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you feel a bit of like butterflies thinking, hang on, um, are they going to give me an offer? And they did, an offer to teach maths. Abed was ecstatic. He'd landed his first teaching contract. And the moment was even more special for another reason. And what was even more sweet, sweeter was, it was my local school that I attended as a student. They came with their like offer. And the great thing was that the people that were like interviewing me were my former teachers. Abed joined as a maths trainee. I remember it quite clearly actually, because I was sat in the staff room and the new trainee teachers obviously walked through the door and there was a boy that I recognised. As he came closer, we could see it was Abed, the boy that we'd known from 11 years of age, and he was now back teaching other children at the same school where he, where he had attended himself. It was a pleasure to see him come through the door and train as a teacher and just to see the confidence that he'd now built and that the fact that he was able to stand in front of a class and uh, get all his instructions across clearly. More after this. What did it mean to be working at the same school you went to? Uh, it was definitely the proudest moment that I felt. It's something that's very close to, to my heart. Um, it's my local school. Mm. And I was just so happy now to be like in a situation where now I can try and change mm. like another student's life. So it was a very, very proud moment. What were the challenges? Like your first year, what, what, what was it like? So your teacher training year is by far the toughest year of your life in terms of your teaching career. And by the way, when you are tired, you tend to stammer a lot more. Mm. So there were days where I was stammering like it was some kind of sport. To get through the long teaching hours, Abed leaned on techniques that he picked up in speech therapy. When we speak in like an overdramatic way, we might stammer less. So I tried to do things like that. I tried to move my hands around because for some reason it regulated my stamina a bit yes. more. You could probably tell in the last 
30 seconds as time less yeah. I'm acting now so I'm performing a bit more of course I can't do this 24/7 because I'll be tired this is amazing man <laughs> <laughs> you should have went into acting like you should have done the drama yeah but to that thing things like that they 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 are my coping mechanisms and like any new teacher Abed had to build trust with these students that meant talking to them about his journey so I always told students at the start of the year that I have a stammer. One day, in the middle of a lesson, Abed heard something from the back of the classroom. I was teaching and I could hear a child at the back of the room at the corner, probably one of those mischievous and naughty mm. ones. Mm. He was imitating me. I chose to ignore it and I was just carrying on teaching until I heard one of the students told him to shut up. Yeah. And the whole class... They told that child, I wow. said, what's wrong with you? Why are you taking the mic out of sir? He's standing in the front teaching you. At least be a bit more, a bit more respectful. And that was a very proud moment of me. And I felt like, okay, that means I've taught these children how to support people who stammer. Yeah. Alongside his work teaching maths, Abed decided to set up a support group to help students who stammer. My main things for these young kids was to just get their confidence up and for them to stammer with confidence. So we did a lot of uh, role play mm. in drama because I course, was yeah. I, I love drama. We played a lot of games where it gets them to talk, to get them to express <coughs> themselves. So my main goal was just to empower them. He talked to other teachers to help them identify young stammerers. The club started small, then grew. When they first started out the piece of work with Abed, they were very shy. Some of them would just not speak in school. Some of them would not speak in social settings. So for them to go from these little 11-year-old boys and girls that really had no confidence, didn't want to speak in front of staff, didn't want to speak in front of their peers in lessons, to be delivering assemblies, to be you know, reading aloud in class, to be performing in plays, it was a real, real pleasure. And as Abed's students grew in confidence, so did his self-belief. Um, after the first year, I stopped thinking about what people think about me and I knew that I can do my job. So I started to realise, hang on, I think I'm a decent teacher. I don't need to care like anymore about what people think about me. Uh, mama students are leaving the room, uh, learning something new, yes. Yes, I probably stammered, but they were still um, able to like understand me. Abed was transforming the culture of the schools he worked in and helping students to find their voices. And soon, his work was recognised by the biggest teaching body in Britain. So tell me about the award Teacher of the Year. When you were named Teacher of the Year, you got to explain to me um, how that came about, who told you and how you felt. So um, I got a letter, got a letter saying that you've been um, shortlisted to the new best teacher of the year award. I was like, for me, I, I had to check my name and address. I was like, what, really? After yes. coming from a, uh, a places like a Birmingham in Lozada, you don't yes. go to these I things. I know what you're feeling. And, I know. You know, and I thought, wow, I just want to go for the free course uh, meal. So I went to the event. I, I, again, I didn't think that I'd uh, win it, but I really enjoyed the three course meal. It was mm. like a proper, I was like, I was just what it's like to have a real expensive meal. I was in, I, um, I was enjoying that, and then they got to the um, award. 
so they, they, they say the name and you're, you're obviously sitting there thinking, well, it's not going to be me for whatever reason. You don't realise the great stuff that you're doing. So when they say it's you, what happens in your mind in respect to, oh my God, I've got a, a speech. What, what am I going to say? What <laughs> happens to you there? Like I froze for about 10 seconds thinking, what do I do? And I could just feel myself getting very nervous. I think that has to be like my proudest ever moment. I thought, hang on, just a few years ago, someone told me that I should consider a different career. And a few years later, I'm here picking up an award for being the best new teacher in the UK. But at home, his extracurricular work was still a secret. It had been 20 years since Abed had spoken to his parents about his stammer. Now that he was an award-winning teacher, he was ready to confront his past. He opened up to his parents for the first time about his journey with his stammer. So it, with everything you're doing up to that point, you, you're not telling them, you're, you're not telling them any of this great stuff you're doing. No. So, oh gosh, gosh, bed. So you've won um, the teacher of the year, the whole country. What, what happens when you, when you tell them? They were very shocked and very happy for me. They started calling all their family members. <laughs> I was like, oh no, because um, part of me was like, oh, but I don't want people to know that I work with people with because I've yes. got a summer. And that was the first time that I, that I really like um, opened up to my mom and dad. Um, I did tell them that there were times that, you know, um, kids did take the mick out of me. So I felt like um, at the like age of 24, that's when I finally told my parents about mm. what I've actually been through, like mentally by myself. And, and they did say they were very proud of me. And, you know, my parents were still very supportive in lacking everything else. Um, I didn't judge them for not talking about, you know, about my stomach. You're now teacher of the year with everything that you've been through. It's an unbelievable story. I love it. Um, and you're going back to speak to your young self. Let's say you're going back to speak to your seven-year-old self what are you saying things do get better your stamina is not something that will define you you can still go on to do whatever you want to do um, i tell myself that you know there will be times where you'll get re rejections where you'll feel upset and the fact is that you just need to continue to pick yourself up and i'll just definitely tell my seven year old self is that um, teaching is the way forward. <laughs> teaching is the career for you because you'll make a lot of, you'll make a difference in a lot of children's lives. Can I just say, Abed, it's been, it's been, um, how can I say, it's been inspirational listening to you. You've done a lot of your journey on your own, but then, You've made a lot of decisions along the way where you didn't have anyone to help you and you made them, you faced them from the drama school all the way through to your your interviews and, and you know, the rejection with the teacher. But I, can I just say it's a pleasure to meet you, my friend, and I, could, I can only see great things for you. You're an amazing story and, and good luck. Good luck in the future, my friend. Thank you, Ian. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Years well. Pleasure's mine. Next time on Everyday People, lessons from a fearless foster mum. When they come to me, they are like a, the only way I can describe it is like a tightly wound up spring and 
probably for the first six months, they're going to throw everything at me. But when you can see that tightly wound up spring, sort of loosening, becoming more relaxed, that's when you know you can start to make a difference in their life. If you like what you've heard so far and think you've got an amazing story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at everydaypeople at somethingelse.com. That's everydaypeople at somethingelse.com without the G. Everyday People is a Something Else production hosted by me, Ian Wright. Produced by Jade Scott. Our assistant producer is Grace Laker. Our executive producers are Ollie Wilson and Chris Skinner. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. With thanks to Paul Smith, Joe Sykes and Steve Ackerman.